right. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Yeah, no, that was weak. That was weak. What I learned, uh, you know, you, you learn new things every day. What I learned is in every announcement, who doesn't love was the phrase that I heard a lot today. So who doesn't love a good, cheerful good morning? Good morning. There we are. All right. Turn your Bibles uh, to James chapter 1. Some of you guys may say, oh, we did that last week. Yes, we did. And there's a lot more in James chapter 1. And we're going to keep plugging away with James chapter 1 uh, today. And uh, said we're going to be going through this book for a little while. There's a lot to pull from it, lots of applicable and very practical stuff. And um, today, I feel like, is something, as we unpack it, we can really, really all dive into together uh, because I think that James really emphasizes something that we all go through, whether or not now, if you're not going through it now, you will go through it, or maybe you have gone through it, but there's, there's a lot to unpack here. So James chapter 1, and let me pray for us as we uh, dive into the Word together. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to come together, we get to, to celebrate you, we get to, to dive into your Word and God, I pray that as we unpack uh, this, this passage today, God, that you allow everybody here to, to take something from it, that, that something resonates in our hearts, something, something just really, really applies, and we're able to take it beyond these walls, uh, share it with our friends, our family. Let it be something that we actively live out today, God, because we had an encounter with you. So God, we thank you, we love you, and we give you all the praise. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, uh, a common theme that we're going to see throughout the whole book of James, but, but he opens up his book with it, is the, the phrases um, of faith and works. Faith and works. I, I think that, that faith and works li live in this dynamic tension together, and there, there's no coincidence that they go hand in hand. Sometimes you have people saying, you know, well, you're just not believing enough. Or sometimes you'll come across people that saying, you're not doing enough. And sometimes the people that say, you're not believing enough, aren't doing anything. Or the people who are doing things aren't trusting God to, to, to work as well. And so there's, there's this tension of, of believing in God to do stuff, but then also doing what God has called you to do. And we, we refer to this as faith and works. And, and part of this struggle in our walk with God is having to, to figure out, God, what is it you want me to do? Versus, God, what is it that I'm believing you are going to do? And they go hand in hand. And, and there's this incredible balance and tension throughout Scripture with faith and works. And, and chances are that as you walk with Jesus and as you continue on your, your relationship with him, you're going to come into these points in your life where, where something, life is going to throw a curveball at you and you have to know, all right, is this the part where I'm doing something or is this where God is going to do something? And, and figuring that out can be kind of a challenge. And, and as we touched on James last week, um, James is believed, so a little bit more of the recapping the history of James, it's believed to be one of the earliest books written in Scripture. One of the, the most earliest books that was, people, was available for people to read. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a pastor, leader, elder of a church in Jerusalem. And also significant to, to the book of James is knowing, again, the context of when it was written, immense and intense persecution. Christians getting hunted down, Christians getting killed, Christians being scattered. And so James writing a lot of, about very practical steps on how to come together, how to be unified, and how to have this faith and works and trust and relationship with Jesus in the midst of really, really hard times. But James, know this, he's not writing as a disconnected um, observer. He's not like off in this faraway place going, look what's happening over there. You guys got to get it together. And then mailing out letters to everybody. He's, he's very active in what's going on. He's a participant in avoiding the persecution as well as leading a church, as well as leading people to Jesus. He is there in the midst, in the thick of it. And through this, he's encouraging people to not lose their faith. 
in the midst of the biggest adversity and persecution they had ever faced before. He's encouraging everyone to stay in, 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 uh, in contact, in connection with each other and with Jesus. He had a nickname that uh, scholars would call him James the Just. James the Just, because he was a good pastor with a very important message, and very rightfully so, calling people to action. Now, more importantly, I think, that as we learn with James, we'll see that his message is not just for the persecuted church at the time, but it's for us and our trials and our walks today. So James chapter 1, another strong theme it brings out amidst the heavy persecution they're facing uh, is with faith in, in, in trials. So who, like, who likes a good challenge? I could say it like Stephanie. Who doesn't like a good challenge? Who doesn't love a good challenge, right? Um, she said she likes a challenge. I, I like challenges. If something, something comes to me and someone says, oh, that's impossible, it can't be done, I go, just you wait. Just you wait, I'll show you. I'll get it done, even if I fail. I, I, I want to try. I, I, I like the, the being challenged to do something bigger than myself, or someone says it can't be done, you can't do this, it would be impossible. It's just, it spurs in me this, this fun, I want to do it. Now I really want to do it. And I'll, I'll usually say the phrase, at home someone says something, I'll say, okay, challenge accepted. They weren't even challenging me, but that's how I took it. It was a challenge, and I'm going to go for it. So, sometimes challenges come in you know, they come in lots of shapes and sizes. Some of them can be really, really fun and really force you to, to think creatively. For example, when, um, when we lived in California, we lived through something all the time that is a foreign word up here that many of you have never may have heard of before. It's called a drought. Yes, California and drought are synonymous with each other. Every year it was the worst drought in history in California because you see what happens. We, we go through this regularly. You see... Out, out there in California, we would see this thing if you look up, this big, bright, yellow, shiny thing. We call this the sun. And, and I know that up here, it's, it's a, it peaks every now and then. As a matter of fact, this morning, I, I came in, I was talking with Donald. We're like, hey, look, blue skies. He goes, yeah, but look what's right over there. And it's already worked its way over here, right? So, so we, we have this, you know, in California, we see this blue sky and the sun. And then we move to Washington, and we see this magical water fall from the sky. And it's crazy. But in California, there was a drought all the time, and we'd get all the letters saying, you know, hey, guys, let your lawns go. It's a drought. They're going to die. Conserve water. And so what happened is they actually said that at one point we were going to start getting fined majorly if your water consumption goes up each month in the middle of the drought. So we're like, all right, it's not just saying we're in a drought now. Now it's going to get serious. They're really starting to threaten us with, with fines and bills. And, you know, California loves to send people bills. So we had to get creative with our water. So, so this was a challenge, and I was like, all right, let's, let's find some ways to get creative with our water. So what can we do? So, we, we, I mean, we had a garden, we had a lawn, and I loved my green lawn, and I loved growing my garden, but we had to save water. We had to find ways to repurpose water, to reuse water, not waste water. So here's some of the fun things we did as we were like, you, you guys may say, that's not fun, but it was, it was creative, you know, things we had to do to get, save our water. So I was like, all right, here's something we can do. We're going to put a bucket in the shower, because we had a tub-shower combo. We're like, all right, we're going to put a bucket in here, because when we're waiting for the water to get hot, we're going to save all that cold water, so it's just not going down the drain. So we've got this big old Home Depot bucket. That goes in, you fill it up, and then the water starts to get, to get hot. So you take that bucket out, take your shower, and then that becomes our water-the-garden water. We're like, all right, so now we're not wasting this. We, we got to find ways to, to save that. Um, Costco milk gallons were long and narrow. They were perfect for fitting in the back of a toilet seat tank. We just displaced one gallon of water. I'm like, all right. So now when, now when you flush, because, you, know, you know, we had to also, they were like, don't even flush the toilet. I was like, all right, but that, this is not going to fly in my house. 
but we had to find ways to conserve water when flushing the toilet. Um, also in the shower, we, we put one of those quick shutoffs, you know, attach one of those. So, so when, you're, when you're just, you know, shampooing, you'd be like, shut off the water, but it wouldn't get cold, you know, shampoo. Okay, turn the water back on. And we ended up, um, we thought we were going to save money, but because the drought just made everything cost more anyways. But, but we lessened our water consumption. And for me, it was like, all right, this is going to seem inconvenient. It's going to seem crazy. But there was a part of me that was like, what other things can we do? What are some, some fun, creative ways that we can save water in our house? So some challenges are fun. Creative, yeah, inconvenient, totally inconvenient, but you can have a lot of fun with it sometimes. In life, though, we hit challenges that are not fun. Many of us go through a challenge where we say, this is something I never want to go through again. This is something I hope no one ever experiences again, and it just hits you hard. Sometimes maybe you've dealt with one of these. You lose your job, and you have absolutely no idea how you're going to pay for your next monthly bill. You don't know where the money's going to come from. It's, that's a challenge where, again, you have to be creative, but it's not a fun one. An illness has hit you or a loved one, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a challenge, not a fun one. Life happens, and you can't seem to get ahead no matter how much you try, no matter how much you pray or push. You feel like you're in this test of life, and you don't want to keep going through it, but you know you have to. It's a challenge, but it's not a fun one. Those ones hit hard for me because uh, I hope you know this about me by now. I love to smile. I love to laugh. I love to have fun. I think, I think life, life is too short to not have fun, and I love to have fun. We were uh, at the airport one day, and I forget what we, were, what we wanted, but we went to, I think, a Starbucks or something in the airport, and they said they were out of something, and we made a joke about it, and we started laughing. And it was something we, we were looking forward to. And again, I forget what it was, but as we're walking away, my daughter asks, why are you laughing? I was like, because sometimes all you can do is just laugh. Something happens, you just got to laugh at it. And someone walked by this and heard us say that, and they were like, that is an amazing outlook on things. I was like, I love to laugh. I love to have fun. But sometimes, sometimes life throws you a curveball where you, you don't feel like you can laugh. The challenge is something that you don't want to push through. You no longer want to persevere. On that note, turn to James 1. We're going to do James 1, starting with verse 2, verse 2 to 12. And it says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to, him, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like the flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. A man who endures trials is blessed, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There's a lot in that passage, a lot about dealing with trials and, and what, you, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and how to approach these things when they hit us. But right out the gate, there's a shocking statement that, that's going to be hard to resonate because it's not a natural reaction to trials, especially the, the hard ones. Straight out, he says, consider it a great joy, my brothers, Whenever you experience various trials, 
Has anyone ever been hit by life and went, whoo, all right, joy times? That's not what happens. You, you, don't, you don't look at life hitting you and, and saying, man, this is hard. I never want to go through this. And then look at those as joyful times. But James right out says, consider it a joy when you experience various trials. It's hard to hear and hard to imagine that there can be joy in the midst of things sometimes, right? I mean, th- think of the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And, and sometimes you can look at the coming out of it and saying, you know, I'm better now. But in the middle of it, did you find joy in those times? Were you happy to be going through it? Did you have that deep resonating joy in your heart that you were going through something? And, and I know that in hard times in my life, I can look back and say, I don't think I did. I don't think I had that joy. But James is saying, consider it joy when you experience these trials. And then think of the context James is saying it in. The church is getting persecuted. People are dying. And he's saying, consider it joy in the midst of your trials. He calls the church to joy in the midst of persecution. And it's also worth noting here that James doesn't say if you experience trials. He says when you experience trials. When you experience. Adversity was a foregone conclusion. It's not a matter of if. And this is something I think we can all relate to. It's not a matter of if trials come in our lives. It's a matter of when trials come. When trials come. Not might be persecuted, but will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 uh, 3, uh, says that. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I know you guys are thinking, man, Dustin's just depressing us today, right? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We're going to go through trials. We're going to face persecution. Now, we probably won't face persecution to the extent that they were facing persecution, but we'll experience it. We'll have it. We'll feel it. We'll have people that come against you because of what we profess to believe in. And just because we're not experiencing persecution like they did um, doesn't mean that, that we're just totally lucked out and spared of all trouble. No. It just means it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to be hard, though, when it comes. In fact, James goes on to articulate in this passage that when we count our trials as joy, it's not because that we, uh, we're, we're masochists and we just love pain. You're like, oh, I'm hurting. Bring it, bring it. Yeah, so good. He's not saying it in that aspect at all, but he's saying that we trust that there's a testing of our faith that's happening. There's a persevering in our walk with Jesus. There's a growth that's happening in the midst of our trials that's going to happen because we're choosing to find joy. We're choosing to seek Jesus in the midst of all these hard things. There's something of a measurable value that's growing. And it's something so valuable, I think every believer needs to, that will experience this in one form or another. We all will experience what James is talking about here, and it's going to be the testing of our faith. Has anyone here, and you can put your hands up, has anyone ever gone through a time where you felt your faith was tested? It, it raised questions, it, it, made, it made you ponder, made you wonder, just things that maybe you, didn't, you weren't wondering before until you went through something hard? I, I think that's, that's a natural thing to, to question and go through when it happens. You start having a test of your faith. Um, it's, it's easy sometimes to say my faith is strong until you go through something really hard, right? You, you start going through those hard things. Then you, then you start wondering, here's, here's where my faith really lies because now am I trusting in God to work through it or am I trusting in my own deeds to work through it? And there's dynamic tension. Again, faith and works. What are you going to do when your faith is tested? I think it's an extremely important point to remember the original meaning for various kinds. What it literally meant was many colored. Now, now think, think for a moment. When, when you're a kid and you get that box of Crayola crayons. Now, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, 12 crayons. Now you go to the store and you, you find 185 different colored crayons. It's crazy. But when you, you bring that home for your kids and you see a kid open that up and they open it and their eyes just go like, oh, look at all these colors. 
Look at all this amazing things I can do with this, this box of crayons. Think of that, that feeling maybe you had, or if, if you like art, when you, when you get that new palette of paint and all these colors and things you get to work with. On some level, this is the concept being shared by, by James, saying trials will come in many colors. If you open up the box of trials, there is no limit to what we can possibly go through what we can possibly encounter. And I'm not saying that you get to look at your life and go, look at all these fun, hard things I'm going to do. But we do get to look at these hard things with a different light in our lives because we know who's with us in the midst of these hard things. We get to look at this, this palette, this, this colorful array of things we will go through in life and know that these things are going to test us. These things are going to try us. But when we have the, the ultimate victor on our side, those things are ultimately going to grow us throughout their process. Now, all these things differ from person to person, church to church, culture to culture. And we're talking about things like relational pain. A lot of us, that can be a, a trial that really, really wrecks you, a relationship and something going wrong in that relationship. Maybe it's a trial of mental health and, and your, your physical well-being or your mental well-being. Something you really wrestle with or someone in your family really wrestling with it. And it's really, really testing your faith. Maybe it's a physical disease or physical suffering that you're going through. Maybe it's a, a financial loss that you've recently encountered. Or maybe it is an external persecution that's happening in your life. These trials, this is just a, a, a flyby list of different trials that we can all go through. And even under each of those categories, your relational pain, there could be a handful of us going through it. But at the same time, that relational pain is going to be different for everyone going through a relational pain. Same category, different circumstance. So the, the, the possibilities are endless when we think of all the things we as a body could be going through. In the midst of this, we all have our trials. The list can go on and on. In fact, there, there are people probably sitting here today that are having a deep wrestling with their faith, even in this moment. E even right now, as, as I'm talking, and you're, you're with other people in church, and even in your, your private life at home, you're still saying, but this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm wrestling, and this is where I'm just not sure about some things. There are those that could be asking serious questions like this. Is God even real? Is God even real? Sometimes you may go through a trial in life that, that makes you ask this. This is like the, the end-all question for eternity, right? If God is so good, then why did he allow this evil? If God is so good, then why did he allow it? Why won't he intervene in my life? It's a common one, right? You, you wonder when, when you're going through something, why, why is he just not showing up right now and taking care of this? Why is he not intervening? Why won't he heal my child, my spouse, my friend, my loved one? These are all questions, I think, that, that we'll ask at some point in our faith. If you haven't asked them already, they'll make a point where you get to the point where you're asking one of these questions. Why, God? Why is this happening? But the big question isn't, will I experience trials? It's, when will I experience these trials? When will this happen? And the good news is, although there are various trials, more colors than there are in the Crayola box, there's a God in heaven who's weaving and working through every trial weaking and worving and growing in you through every trial. And it's a magnificent, wonderful, beautiful work of art when you see what God has done in your life as you trust him to work through these trials as well. The trick, though, is learning to trust him through the process, and that's what this wonderful P word called perseverance. Some of you thought I was going to say patience right there, and that's a talk for another day. But perseverance, perseverance, man, it's the thing that we want to have, but the thing that we want to give up on sometimes when life really, really gets at you. If you have kids, you know what it means to persevere because, man, every day you're saying the same phrase over and over and over again, and you've got to just keep going for it. And you know you can't give up because the law says until they're 18, they're yours, right? You've got to persevere. You're going through it. 
Webster's defines perseverance as this, persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. So, so for, for someone who follows Jesus then, what, what does that mean? What, what do you think achieving success means? I'm sure in the world we have our ideas for this is what success would be, this is what success is, but, but for, for a Christ follower, what then would we say if we're going to be persistent in our trials, we get to achieve success, what would this look like? And I think uh, James gives us some of the answer to this in that passage we read where he says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's some perseverance for you. But endurance or perseverance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And I, I love that, that endurance is going to produce some perseverance. That the fact that we're supposed to go through and keep going through it wholeheartedly is going to give us that strength to keep going through it and then ultimately see that light of the tunnel at the end when we see God, how he's working it all together. I think success in Christ means that we're trusting him through these trials, really trusting that he's in control, that he's got a part to play, and that he's working in you through this moment. And it brings us to that perfection and completion that can only be found in Jesus. I think that, for, for lack of better words, success in that definition, success in that definition is being whole with Christ. And wholeness is found on the other side of that suffering, when we get through that moment where we see his work and his completion in it. And there's something unique about suffering and pain and adversity is that it produces this, this divine characteristic in us that Jesus wants. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, he says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that. I, I like the whole, this produces this, produces this, produces this, and it all comes down to hope. It all comes down to that producing hope in Jesus, and there's nothing to be shameful with hope. It doesn't produce shame because God's love pours through it. I, I love how this is laid out for us, and it all starts with, with the sufferings, and I love that, that Paul is, is also echoing what James says here, rejoicing in the sufferings, finding joy in the sufferings. Again, not walking around, parading it around, saying, I'm suffering, yes, thank you, Jesus, and going crazy. People will call you crazy if you do that. But being able to have that, that inner peace, that joy of knowing, God, you're here in this, and I know you're good. I know your characteristics. I know what the Bible says about you, and I know the fruit of the Spirit that you produce, and through this trial, that will be produced in me. That's finding the joy in these trials. The adversity calls us to go higher. It calls us to, to be greater and to trust deeper. Suffering expands our faith. If, if we understand what, what Paul and, uh, and James are saying in this, our suffering will expand and grow our faith and not diminish our faith. It'll drive us into the arms of God instead of driving us away from God. And as we learn over and over again to trust God through and in every situation, our capacity to hope naturally will start to increase because we see his hand in it and we see him working in it. And this is what James is telling the church at that time. When we find the joy in this, when you guys see that Jesus is still here with us through all this, when we see how much God loves us, our hope will expand in this time. We will grow bigger in this time. Our faith will produce and, and multiply in this time instead of being scattered and running and hiding. We'll be able to overcome. Our capacity increases, and we learn to persevere because of the promise that we have in Jesus. And then we get to see the second thing in this is a promise. 
we get to see a promise that comes out. And as we grow in our faith, we also got to learn to keep our eyes on him no matter how difficult it is. It's, it's easy in the difficult times to, to look slightly off course. I, I, I think of you know, Peter walking on the water. In that moment, initially for him, it was a no-brainer. He was like, I'm going to do this. He sees Jesus walking on the water. He says, if that's you, call to me and I'm doing. He jumps on. But then he got scared and he looked away. And when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he said, wait a second, that's when he sank. We've got to learn in the middle of these trials to keep our focus on Jesus and see that he is right there walking on our trial. Literally walking on our trial. And he wants us to walk there with him. Adversity calls us to go higher, to be greater, trust deeper. And the promise we have in this, Paul talks about in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about his one motivation for going through trials. He says, my motivation for getting through this, it's not personal gain. It's not worldly gain. It's not so people pay attention to what I'm saying. His, his motivation for going through trials is Christ. He says, I, my motivation is Christ through the suffering, through persecution, he will press on and he will learn, like what James says, to count it all as joy because Christ is his core motivation to get through the trials. And if there's someone you can talk about going through trials in their ministry, man, read up on Paul. That man about went through everything and he still counted it as joy. An 18th century abolitionist named William Wilberforce said this, our motto must continue to be perseverance, and ultimately, I trust the Almighty will crown our efforts with success. Man, success for us is, is to finish that race, to go at it wholeheartedly, to go at it full force and say, God, this is hard. This is hard for me, but I see you, I trust you, and I'm not going to look away from you. I'm going to look for you, I'm going to go towards you, and I'm going to tackle this trial. I'm going to tackle this persecution knowing you are there with me the whole time and knowing what our reward is at the end of being with him forever. It's made available for Jesus through Jesus. And with that in mind, Hebrews says this. I know Stephanie told me today, you're doing a lot of passages, and I was like, man, when you're going through, when you're going through trials, what better place to look than the Bible? Because it talks about it a lot. Hebrews 12 says this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. There's that perseverance piece again. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the challenge that Hebrew says. Throw off the weight or burden holding you back. Throw off the weight or burden holding you back from pursuing Christ. Throw off the sin clinging to your life and run this race set before you. It's, it's more comfortable to hold on to those things, Right? When you have something holding you back, you have something that, that maybe you know you shouldn't be doing, but, but it's your comfort zone. We, we talked about this at our men's prayer group this, this last Friday. Just uh, Sometimes you, you have something and you know Jesus has freed you from it, but you're like, but I still kind of like it. It makes me comfy. You know, it's, 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 my, it's my special place. And Jesus is saying, time to let it go. Time to let that go and really live out what I just called you to do. The example we were reading from is the, the man who was crippled, who was laying, by, laying down, and Jesus came and said, take up your mat and walk. 
Jesus encounters the man hours later, and what is he still doing? He's still holding his mat. And Jesus gets to tell him, goes, hey, go and sin no more. And for that man, he was healed. He experienced Jesus, but part of him was still holding on to that mat. He's saying, you know, what if tomorrow my legs just decide to turn into jello again, and, you know, I have to go, go lay back down. You don't have to worry about those things. We get to say, man, Jesus freed me from this. Jesus has delivered me from this. I get to cast it aside, and I get to go. I get to go wholeheartedly ahead. Cast off the weight or burden that's holding you back from pursuing Jesus. Throw off the sin clinging to your life. Run this race. Run through those trials and persevere through them because he is on your side. And when you need help, think of these three specific things that come out of this passage from James. If you don't know what to do, let, let's say you get to that point where you're like, I just, but I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. I, I, and I think we, we all hit, have hit that point at some point where we're in the middle of a trial and we just don't know what to do. Maybe you've been hung up on something for months, years, because you don't know what to do, but maybe there's one step you haven't done yet. And I love that James says it so eloquently and so in your face. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you ask, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Have you guys ever had that moment where you realize you didn't have something simply because you didn't ask for it? Just, you, you realize, oh, I never really asked for that. Someone goes, why didn't you get this? Oh, I didn't ask you for it. it, it it's it's a kind of a dumb moment, right? Like, I can't believe I forgot to ask. I can't believe I didn't ask for this one thing. And here... It may seem something so trivial, but I know there's times in my life even where I'm going through something and I have to really sit down and go, all right, God, when was the last time I really just asked you for help in this? I didn't ask you to do something. I asked you to let me know what to do. God, what, what is it you want me to do here? God, how can I navigate through this? And James flat out just says, if you lack wisdom, just ask. And it's not a God will maybe give it to you. It says God will give it to you without reproach. He wants to give you wisdom. He doesn't want to see you sit there and wallow and suffer and be, be just clueless on how to handle it. He wants to help you through it. We've got to learn to ask. Sometimes with our kids, um, Avery, my youngest, for example, she'll be getting in her car, in the car seat and she can buckle herself in. But sometimes she'll be wearing a dress or a jacket that makes it harder to buckle up. And I'll be sitting there, and as we're in the car, like, Avery, you buckled? And she doesn't audibly respond with a no. It, she responds with, ah, ah, ah. And so you just, you wait a second. And then it turns into, ah, ha, ha. You look back, and she's just defeated that she cannot move her dress to the side to get that buckle in. Or she's wearing a jacket. She just, and I'll ask, Avery, are you buckled? Never says no. It's always the, ah, it just, that trial in her life is the biggest, hardest thing she's ever had to go through. She can't buckle her car seat. And so I look at her and I go, Avery, do you need help? To which she'll desperately reply, yes! And I follow up with one, one statement. You know what that statement is? Just ask. Stop the whining and just ask. And then she'll stop. Sometimes it's still whining. But can you please help? Of course, to which I say, Aurora, help your sister. But, you know, but, but we get it done, right? We go, we buckle the car seat, and she's good. And as soon as everything's buckled, she is totally fine. Everything's good, and we're able to go on our trip. But I think sometimes, sometimes I think of, you know what? How many times does God look at us, and we're just going, ah! And he's like, do you want help? You haven't asked me yet. Just, just ask so I can help you with this. 
We have to learn to ask God. He doesn't want us to try and figure it out without him. He wants to give us the wisdom to overcome. He wants to be a part of this with us. He wants to partner with us through all these things. That's his desire. When we're lacking in wisdom, a trial has you beat down. You're at your wit's end. I love that this is saying, God is saying, just ask. Just ask him. Then we, get the, then we get the joy of seeing how that answer comes, whether it's a revelation that God gives to us, whether it's someone coming alongside us and helping us, whether it's uh, us reading something that really gives us some insight, but we get to see all these amazing ways God works to give us that wisdom to overcome what, we are, what is currently making us be like that kid in the car seat, right? We get to see God work amazing ways. Second thing is don't let doubt creep into your process. Don't let doubt creep into your process. Doubt and faith, man, they, they have this tension with each other. Now, let me read this passage and let me kind of unpack this a little bit because I know we, we all have doubts. But James 1, we read it already, but James 1, 6 through 8 says this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, now hear me, I don't want you to think if you doubt all of a sudden, oh, I doubted, oh, God's done with me, I'm out. It's not what this is saying. I know that we all have struggles and doubts. We all have those fleeting moments. We, we have those moments where something is hitting us and, and we ask that, those questions that we asked earlier, right? Man, why is this happening? Doubt comes in, it, it starts to make you question things. And we have those moments where, where we ask those questions we're afraid of and some of us maybe even have been raised being told, never ask these questions. Never ask those questions. If you cared, why'd you let this happen? Are you listening? Can you hear me, God? Do I matter? Do you have a plan? But instead of looking to the truth for the answers to these questions, we let them turn into statements. When, when doubt gets so big, our questions turn into statements. God, you're not listening. God, you don't hear me. God, you have no plan. God, I don't matter. Friends, listen to me. We all have a time where we'll struggle. We'll all have a time where that trial hits and those doubts and those questions will start to creep in. My advice to you would say, when you have those questions come in, stick to the blunt truth. The blunt truth that we know what scripture says. Yes, he cares. Yes, he hears you. Yes, you do matter. And you know why? It's because he loves you. We have got one Bible consisting of 66 books thousands of years and hundreds of examples to prove that one statement. God loves you. And you know what's great? Is that book isn't even the whole story. You've got your life and what God's doing in your life to prove he loves you. You get to see what he's doing around the world in people's lives to prove he loves you. When those doubts come in, don't let them overwhelm your thoughts. Don't let them turn your questions into statements that make you look away where your, your eyes are focused off Jesus. Let them point you to the truth where you say, in the midst of all this, I can come back to that one line that will overcome so much when you understand it. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me so much. Don't let your doubt turn your questions to statements. Let it turn, into the, let it turn you to Jesus, not away from him. And lastly, stay humble. Stay humble. Be careful not to think too little or too much of yourself. And God has love, he has grace, and he has mercy, and it is impartial. It is all for you. This last part of James that we read, uh, verses 9 through 11, says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and, let the, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of pursuits. And pr pride, pride is the solution killer and the, the trial enhancer. Solution killer and trial enhancer. Let humility fuel your walk. Let, let God elevate you. And watch as he elevates you, watch him de-elevate your trial. Watch him de-escalate your situation and make, help you rise above it. And then he gets to get the glory for it. We serve an incredible, humble Jesus. And he showed us so much in love. And when we, when we act in that humility, when we let our humility fuel, our love for Jesus fuel, and we, let our, we put our pride aside, we get to emulate the love and the humility that he showed, and we get to show that to others around us as we're going through things. And I think one of the, one of the best compliments you could possibly get is in the midst of your life, when you're going through something hard, if someone comes up to you and says, I don't know how you're handling it, but you seem to be at peace about this, guess what you get to tell them about? I love it. You get to tell them about Jesus who loves you and who also loves them. And it can spark a beautiful conversation about trials and how Jesus is at the core of getting you through no matter what you're going through. Amen? I'd like to invite you all to stand and the worship team to, to come back up. As I said earlier, it's, it's worth repeating. Adversity calls us to go higher. It calls us to be greater. It calls us to trust deeper. And, uh, and know that when, when we're suffering, and not a matter of if you suffer, but when, when it happens, it's going to expand our faith. It's going to give you that opportunity to really trust in what, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing in you. And it's going to hopefully let you, allow your trials to drive you closer and closer to Jesus and not further away from him. Learn to trust him through your trials, every situation, and watch your capacity to hope increase. Count the trials of your life as joy. They're producing an immeasurable value in you. The last verse for you, the last one in James, 1.12, says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, or when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Um, this, this coming week, the challenge for you guys is this. Think about the various trials you faced. Think of the various trials you're facing, the, the things you're going through in life right now, and then ask this. God, what do you want me to learn from this? God, what am I learning what could I have done differently? God, how can I help someone who's going through a similar situation? How can I point people to you who are going through this situation? And if, if you're in the midst of, of great suffering today, know this. God is for you. He's not against you. And that ultimate line that I know we say it in, in children's church all the time, but it's true and it's powerful. Just say it when you're in the hard times. Jesus loves me. Let that fuel the deepest, darkest times that you go through, you can always come back to say this fact, in the midst of this, Jesus loves me. Ask for wisdom, exercise your faith, and stay humble. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, for who you are. God, I thank you that uh, in the midst of our trials, you are there. You're walking through the fire with us, God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you were in the fire with them in their trial. I know you are in the fire with us today. I pray that as we go through things in our life, God, we, we turn towards you, not away from you. We grow in you, not apart from you. And God, we're able to see that faith, the, the, strong, the strength of our faith grow. We're able to see you in our lives giving us hope and perseverance because we are trusting you through it all. So God, I pray that we don't run from our trials. We run towards them with you as our battle cry as we, as we encounter them, God, because we know you have the victory. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said... 
Amen.